I'm going to begin this morning by seeing, uh, just taking a poll of the audience here. How many of you are familiar with this symbol right here? Raise your hand if you're... Ah, all right. What I thought. Most all of us in here, right? This symbol, though it was only designed a little over 50 years ago, has become as familiar as any symbol in our world. And it's the symbol of what? Peace. That's right. You know, some of us in here weren't around during this time. When we look at this symbol, a lot of times our minds go back to the 1960s, right? And, and this being kind of the symbol of those who were in protest of the war. But even though that's the case, you know as well as I do that this desire that we have for peace precedes this symbol, doesn't it? And it's also a continued desire of many of us today. And the reason why that's the case is because the reason why there's a constant pursuit of peace in our world is because there have been surprisingly very few times that our entire world has been at peace. Recent studies have shown that since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. Since 3600 B.C., the world has known only 286 years of peace. During this period of time, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small, and, and there have been 3.64 billion people who have lost their lives because of war. That's half of our world's population today. And what we also find is that not only is peace on a global scale difficult to wrap our minds around, at times it, it's also difficult on a personal level, isn't it? Today in our world, we hear all the time about unrest in our relationships between husband and wife, parents and children, brothers and sisters, friends, and in our churches, right? Today, divorce rates are through the roof. Countless number of family members are, are at odds with one another, and you can't go anywhere and not hear about problems within the church, can you? Which, which makes us wonder, is peace possible in this life? Is sustainable peace just a pipe dream, or is it a reality? Can it be experienced? Well, God's Word tells us that peace is possible. Scripture clearly teaches us that there is peace to be had, and this peace is sustainable peace. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We're almost finished with Philippians, so just bear with us. Two more weeks. <clears throat> In our text for today, Paul is going to give us several keys to finding peace. And let's be honest, we need this, don't we? I mean, like we've already explained this morning, the world in which we live is, is chaotic. And like we've talked about earlier, it seems as if sustainable peace is just an impossibility in this life. 
In this sermon series, we've been talking about the fact that joy is possible in this life. And in our text for today, we're going to learn that joy is possible if we can come to experience peace. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to share with you five principles for experiencing peace in this life. Here's the first. Be an encourager. You want to experience peace in this life? Be an encourager. As we've already talked about, the church at Philippi was probably as healthy, if not more so, than any other church in the first century. They were a healthy church. And because this was the case, I've explained before, I believe this is the reason they went through so much conflict. Because we've already talked about that the enemy is not going to allow kingdom work to take place without a fight, is he? And kingdom work was going on at Philippi, which is, which is why they had to endure a lot. For example, at the end of chapter 1, we learn that they had the threat of persecution. In chapter 2, there were issues with disunity. In chapter 3, there were false teachers who were posing a threat on the Christians at Philippi. And in this chapter, what we're going to learn is there was a serious issue taking place within the church in the form of a dispute between two people. So they had a lot of, lot of conflict, a lot of difficulty. And knowing the circumstances were not easy for Paul, I mean, for, for the Christians at Philippi, Paul decides to give them words of encouragement. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When a woman is in labor, a lot of the time her husband's there. Hopefully that's the case. That he's there and not passed out somewhere. I think my dad passed out in one. I had to carry him out. But normally he's there. But the reason why he's there is not because he can cause the baby to be born any faster. And he's not there because by his own power he can remove or alleviate the pain that his wife is going through. So you begin to ask, what is he doing in there? What's the purpose of him being in there? He's in there to be there for his wife. To hold her hand. Wipe her forehead. Pat her back. Provide uh, comfort and encouragement and support. And he's there as a reminder to his wife that even though this is difficult, even though this is painful, the end result is worth it. And in a similar way, this is the way Paul is there for the Christians at Philippi. In the midst of this difficult circumstance, although he can't remove it necessarily, and, and, and he can't take away some of the pain they're going through, He is there to provide support for the Christians at Philippi by praising them for how far they've come and by encouraging them to continue to stand firm and press on. Paul too knows that even though their circumstances are difficult, what is going to come as a result, the the work that God is doing is going to complete in them is worth what they're going through. Believers, in the midst of conflict, 
We need to provide what Paul does here. We need to confront conflict with heartfelt encouragement. When we see brothers and sisters in Christ going through it, although we're not able to undo the circumstance necessarily, or, or um, you know, remove the obstacle or take away the pain, we do need to be there for them. That's what we can be. We can be there for them, providing comfort and encouragement and support. And through that comes peace. So be an encourager. Second, be a peacemaker. You want to experience peace? Be a peacemaker. Notice what Paul says in verse 2 and verse 3. He says, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, also, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In these verses, Paul mentions an issue that is happening within the church between two women. And, and he actually calls them out by name. He gives their names here. There's Judea and there is Syntyche. Now we know, before this issue was even addressed, that, that the Philippians were having trouble with disunity, right? Though they were more healthy than most in the church, they had issues with disunity. And Paul talks about it in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, complete my joy by being like-minded. So, so Paul, though he is thankful for their relationship and for their continued partnership, he mentions to the Christians at Philippi, my joy is not yet complete because you're having these issues with this unity. And in chapter 4, he revisits this. But here he gets more specific, mentioning the ladies by name. Verse 2, he says, I, plead, I plead with you, Judea, and with you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Now the scriptures, even though we'd like to have, we like the details, don't we? The, the scriptures don't tell us what this dispute was all about. We don't know what it was. It could have just been one disagreement, or it could have been an ongoing disagreement between two people who just didn't get along. But one thing that we know for sure is that their issue was not a, a doctrinal, nor was it a moral issue. Because if that were the case, Paul probably would have said, this group's in the right, and she's in the right, and you're in the wrong, if it was a doctrinal or moral issue. Chances are, there wasn't just this clear-cut, black-and-white, right-and-wrong solution. Maybe they were just different. Maybe they just had different ways of looking at things, different philosophies on how to do certain things, and they just clashed. Paul says, I plead with you to agree in the Lord. This phrase, agree in the Lord, is taken in the NASB. It's, it's translated live in harmony. And in the New King James, it means be of the same mind. This is the same phrase Paul uses in chapter 2, verse 2, when he says be like-minded. So chances are when Paul brought this up the first time, he had these two ladies in mind. But remember when we talked about in chapter 2 that that phrase, like-minded, does not mean agree on everything. 
see eye to eye on everything and agree on everything. We know that's impossible, don't we? Let's be honest. We're not even like-minded within ourselves. We'll think a certain way on something one day, and then we'll think the exact opposite a year, a month, a week, or even a day or hour later. We're not even in agreement or on the same page with ourselves a lot of times, much less with any other person. So what is Paul calling for here? He's calling for these two ladies to at least just disagree agreeably. Basically saying, you know, you may not always agree. You may have differences philosophically and and otherwise. But as sisters in Christ, you have to learn to move from conflict much-needed unity. You don't have to have uniformity, but you do have to have unity. And Paul feels so strongly about this, he even calls on another person in the church to come alongside these ladies and help them reach this much-needed unity. Many believe this was an elder in the church. He says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. You know what often happens? when other people get involved, especially in the church when there's a conflict between two people, they don't come to resolve the conflict. They come to take sides. It's normally what happens. I'm on Udia's side. I, I see her point of view. No, I see Syntyche's point of view. And what happens when that happens? It moves from being between two people to the whole church. Paul doesn't say, come in and decide who's right and who's wrong. He says, come in and come alongside these ladies and help them reach peace and harmony. Don't take sides. Resolve the conflict. Be peacemakers. Disunity, as we've already talked about, the reason why it's talked about so much by Paul is because it's so dangerous to the health of the church. It can rip a church apart which is why Paul goes to to great lengths to talk about avoiding it, to being peacemakers. Now, I'm going to get real honest with you for a few moments. Bear with me. Don't get too scared. But I know chances are probably pretty good that there are some in here this morning who don't get along. Chances are, I, I don't know anything, not claiming to know anything, but I know that the the chances are it's probably good that some of you don't get along. Maybe you think, you know, I just don't like the way that person talks to me or the way they interact with me or somebody else is saying, you know, it just seems like they're always looking down on me and don't value my opinion. And you could think of all kinds of reasons to be uncivil with one another. Guess what? Paul's call is still the same, isn't it? Live in peace, in harmony with your Christian brothers and sisters. Disagreeing agreeably if necessary. You don't have to have uniformity, but you do have to have unity. Let me challenge you this morning. If you're at odds with someone, maybe here in the church, or maybe another Christian brother and sister, make every attempt to agree in the Lord. Believers, if you're witnessing a conflict take place, come along and try to be peacemakers, trying to resolve the conflict. Don't take sides. 
seek for, for peace and harmony. So be peacemakers. Number three, to experience joy. When conflict comes, turn your focus upward and outward. Turn your focus upward and outward when conflict comes. Verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul's basically saying here this. Look, I know your, your circumstances aren't great. Neither are mine. But don't be so selfish to let your current set of circumstances keep you from rejoicing in the Lord and serving one another. When difficult times come, you know what many of us have a tendency to do? Turn inwardly, don't we? I just got to take care of myself. I can't worry about rejoicing the Lord or serving one another right now. I'm going through it. There's a story of two hikers who are hiking in the woods and they, they come upon a giant bear. And one of the guys immediately begins to take off his boots and, and put on some, uh, some tennis shoes. And the guy looks at him and he says, what are you doing? You can't outrun the bear. To which the other guy res responds, you know, I don't have to worry about running out outrunning the bear. I just have to outrun you. And that's the way many people think, don't they, when it comes to conflict. They adopt the law of the jungle. Survival of the fittest. They immediately turn inwardly and think, you know, times are tough. You know, I just got to take care of myself. I just got to do what's best for me. Paul says something completely contrary to that, doesn't he? He gives here a very unique command. He said, if you want to find peace, experience peace in this life, when conflict comes, turn upwardly and turn outwardly. In other words, have an attitude of selflessness in the midst of conflict. We've already said that no one examples this better than the Apostle Paul, does he? Though he's in jail, he's joyful, isn't he? And his focus was on anything and everything but himself. And he calls for the believers at Philippi to do the same thing. First Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Here Paul turns to the, the favorite theme of his letter, that of joy. He says, rejoice always. And again, just let me say it again, rejoice. In any and every circumstance, rejoice. Find, find reason to rejoice. Here's why it's difficult for us. When conflict comes, the last thing we want to think about doing is rejoicing, isn't it? Being joyful. W.C. Fields, who was a, a comedian who made a living off of being really cynical, he used to say, I begin every day with a smile so I can get it out of the way. Many of us can relate, right? That's the way we feel a lot of the time, and that's the attitude of the world. But you know what's even more upsetting than that? At times, the church can even be more, go around just more miserable than, than the world. And you know what happens when we do that? When the world sees us as, as Christians struggling and sees us filled with anger and resentment and bitterness, you know what it causes them to think? You know what? I like the bars better. I like going out to the club with my friends better. 
I like anything better than spending time with Christ, living for Him, and time spent with His people. They think there's more joy to be had in those things. Because the church, though it has reason to, has failed to exhibit joy. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, show that what is, what is true of the Christian faith, that even in the midst of difficulty, we can rejoice. Turn upwardly. And he also says, turn outwardly. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here he says, don't just turn upwardly, turn outwardly. That word, reasonableness, does not mean what you might think it means, being meek or mild. It, it refers to a spirit that is fair-minded and charitable. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What he's calling for here is for the Christians at Philippi, when they go through conflict, put their desires on hold and put others' needs before themselves. That's what Paul's calling for. Instead of being self-absorbed and selfish, be sacrificial and selfless. When times get bad, how do you respond? You turn inwardly, get down in the dumps, feeling sorry for yourself. Do you, do you in, in response, just strive to better your own situation? Paul calls for us to keep our focus upward by rejoicing in the Lord and outward by putting others before ourselves. Next, number four, pray instead of worrying. You want to experience peace when conflict comes? Pray instead of worrying. This is such a great verse of Scripture. I mean, mark this, commit it to memory. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And get this, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's simply saying here. Don't worry instead pray that's just a simple way of putting it don't worry instead pray first he says don't worry don't be anxious about anything now if any one verse speaks to almost everyone in here it's this one right because we're an anxious people we are we worry about everything i watched the 2020 special a while back it was a real interesting segment on how we have a tendency to worry about the things that are least likely to happen to us. Listen to these, uh, this study here. One study showed that an average person's anxiety is focused 40% on things that will never happen, 30% on things in the past that can't be changed, 12% on criticism by others, mostly untrue, 10% on health, which gets worse with stress, and only 8% on real problems that'll be faced. Now, obviously, the first three or four aren't, aren't worth our time, right? But even the last one, that, that even those things that should rightfully cause us some concern, the question still needs to be asked, why worry? What good can come from worrying? 
And that question is posed by our Lord and Savior. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In other words, what good can come from worrying? It definitely doesn't bring us peace, does it? Do you know that word anxious means literally to be pulled apart? To be pulled this way and that? Isn't that what, isn't that what worrying does? I mean, we're, we're sitting here and we're worrying about it. And we're like, okay, I'm going to give that to God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that off. I'm not going to worry about it. God's going to take care of it. I'm going this direction. And then we find ourselves going back and saying, well, what if this happens? What if this, this? Okay, I'm not going to worry. You see what I'm doing? It's what worrying does. Pulls us apart. Boy, I felt divided and pulled apart because of worry. I don't, you know, I want to give it to God. I don't want to worry about it, but then I find myself going back to it and trying to do certain things. I've been applying this verse a lot this past several weeks, especially with our house and everything, you know. Boy, it's hard not to let that consume you. In this text, Paul gives an alternative. He says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He said, the opposite of being anxious and worried is to present your request to God. Now, why is that an adequate alternative? Is it because God answers everything we ask in the time we want it answered? Is that it? Now, the text doesn't say that. Then why is prayer an adequate alternative for worry? Here's why. Paul says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Get this. This is so good. Paul says, When you're in a bad way, pray. And when you pray, the peace of God, which the world can't understand, will come upon you and it will guard you against worry and fear about that situation or circumstance. Paul's saying when you pray, what God does, when you don't worry and instead pray, what God does is he miraculously, he miraculously gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts against worry and anxiety so we'll be able to continue to live as fully and as faithfully for God as possible even in the midst of conflict. Let me end this, this point here by giving you two practical keys that you can write down in your notes there. This will help you when conflict comes. Instead of confronting it with fruitless anxiety, confront it with, with beneficial prayer. Here's two practical keys here. Number one, you need to make time to pray. I know that sounds simple, but we just don't naturally do that, do we? Now, worry, that's another thing altogether. We make time to worry, don't we? We can devote hours and days and weeks and months to worry, which Christ, of course, makes the point doesn't benefit anyone. We need to counter that time with a designated time in prayer. Simply put, if you don't make time for it, you're not going to do it. We need to make time to pray. Second, we need to develop a model for prayer. Develop a model for prayer. Many of you may not pray that often because you just don't know how to do it. Don't feel bad if you're in that boat. The disciples were there. 
In Luke 11, 1, they ask, Lord, teach us to pray. And what does Jesus say? He gives them a model for prayer, doesn't he? He gives them the Lord's Prayer. The longest time I had a difficult, I have difficulty with prayer. I, I, it's still a challenge to me. But it was, it was a challenge for me for the longest time because I didn't really, you know, I felt like I was saying the same stuff over and over again and my mind would kind of wander. So what I did was I developed a model for prayer. And I, I do the ACTS model. ACTS is an acronym that stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And I just prayed through those points. I began by praising God for who He is and what He's done. Then I confess my sin. I, I, I confess how I've fallen short of Him. And then I spend time thanking Him for all He's done for me and, and for my family and for my friends and for my church. And then I spend time in supplication, which just means making your request known. I bring my request to God. Let me encourage you to do this. Make time and develop a model for prayer. It's so important that when conflict comes, we don't face that conflict with fruitless anxiety but beneficial prayer time. Pray instead of worry. Lastly, be disciplined spiritually. To experience peace, we have to be disciplined spiritually. Verse 8 and 9 are all about discipline. Verse 8, Paul is talking about disciplining our minds, and in verse 9, he's talking about disciplining our bodies. Let's look at verse 8 first. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our minds are prone to wander, aren't they? We're reminded of that when we're sitting in line at Walmart, aren't we? Oh, there's a candy bar there. Oh, I hadn't tried that. Or, or the tabloid magazine. I wonder what couple got married or got divorced this week. Why do they put those up at the front like that? Because our minds are prone to wander toward the trivial things of our world. Our minds wander. Our minds are prone to wander toward the things that cause us anxiety and worry. I'll be honest with you. I, I spend time with the Lord in the morning. That's normally when I do, and a lot of times it's challenging because I'm just flooded with all that's going on for that day. The worries of the day, our minds are prone to wander toward, the, toward the, the trivial, toward the stresses of the day. And Paul says here, if you want to experience joy, you have to train your mind. You have to discipline your mind not to wander down that path. He said instead of, of thinking about those things, think about things that are true that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, that are admirable, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. Paul says, think about those things. It's important to discipline your mind if you're going to experience peace. Verse 9, Paul also says we need to discipline our bodies. Verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here, once again, Paul is putting himself forward as our example. He says here, the things you have seen me, you have heard or seen me do, these things, do them. Put them into practice. 
and the peace of God will be with you. So the pathway to peace is through discipline. Those sound like polar opposites, don't they? It's one of those paradoxes in Scripture. Remember we talked about Scripture has a lot of paradoxes. Those things that are, they seemingly, they sound contradictory, but they are in fact true. And this is one of them right here. If you want to experience peace and joy and happiness in your life, it's going to come through discipline. It is. 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's clearly stated right there, isn't it? We have to be disciplined. And deep down, we know this is true, don't we? Like if you're taking a test, students out there, if you're taking a test and you've studied and you've put in the time, there's joy, there's some, some joy that comes from taking that test, doesn't there? To show how much you've prepared. Same is true in athletics. If you put in the work and practice and the off-season, there is some joy that comes through performing well in a game. And the same is true spiritually. If you want to experience joy, freedom, and peace, though it sounds contradictory, it's not. The way to get there is through being disciplined spiritually. So we've learned this morning that for us to experience joy in this life, we have to experience peace, especially in the midst of conflict. Here's the problem. Many of us, there are many in our world and, and even in this room who are not at peace with the Creator. Listen, if, if you're going to experience joy in this life, it begins by experiencing peace first and foremost with God Himself. Scriptures are clear. If you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, you are not at peace with God. And if you're not at peace with God, let me give you a guarantee. You will ultimately not experience lasting peace in any other area of your life. Maybe your life right now is just it's chaotic. You don't feel at peace at all in any area of your life, and it's because you're not at peace with God. Let me give you some good news this morning. You can come to be at peace with Him through Jesus Christ. You know, God initially created us at peace with Him. Did y'all know that? Man was initially in good standing with God, but, but, but they chose to rebel against Him. And you know what we do day after day after day? We repeat the sin of Adam and rebel against God. And God could have left us in that state. He could have left us in our sinful condition. But you know what? Our God delights in making things right again. He delights in restoring things that have been broken. And because this is the case, He has provided a way for us to be made right with Him again. He sent Christ. Christ emptied himself by taking on flesh and dwelling among us, living the perfect life we could never live, and dying as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. And all we have to do is acknowledge that God has done this for us at the cross and turn from our life of rebellion and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And you know what happens when we do that? We move from being at odds with God to being at peace with Him. 
you want to get this relationship right, transform the rest of your life and, and, and all of your relationships. You have to do it through Christ, being right with God. And only then can you experience lasting peace in this life, no matter what. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we thank you that in a world where people are in a continual pursuit of peace, that we can come to truly know and experience sustainable peace in you. Father, it should be no surprise to us this morning that, that man is continually at odds with one another because this world is filled with people who are at odds with you. I pray this morning, Father, if there is anyone here at odds with you, I pray that they would come to be at peace with you through trusting in Christ for their salvation. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning,